My father was a glassblower. As a child, I loved to watch him work. The way the fire and liquid sand swirled with his own breath. It was like each piece contained a part of his soul. Once, he worked dawn till dusk on a single piece. Exhausted, he placed it in the kiln to cool. I opened it early. I wanted to see. A gust of cool wind rushed inside. It cracked. My father cried out, shoved me down, raised a fist. He didn't hit me, but seeing his despondent face was worse than if he had. That was when things began to change. I never again welcomed a cool breeze. From Elderblade Productions, this is Echoes of Exeser. Episode 4, Return to Me. Sunscape teemed with life. Within the deep caverns beyond the cove gates was a small city. It was built on platforms made from metal grates upon upturned ships and buoys. Sunscape sprawled across a vast underground lake, protected from outside water by the dam, the lift lock, and a series of conduits that funneled the water out. Trade vessels lined the docks across the lake. Sailors from all across Exes were bustled about, loading goods to and from their ships. I watched them from the ferry as it carried me to the docks. I smelled a low waft of fish and mold lingering over the water. As I neared, the heavy scent of cinnamon, cardamom, and feist cloud overpowered it. The ferryman directed me to look up. Looming above us all was a massive sculpture of a crab. Carved from the rock of the cavern ceiling, its pincers raised as if they alone kept the city from crumbling. I set foot on the docks. A wave of people nearly pushed me back into the water. I caught my balance, marveling at the traffic. All races of Exeser were represented here. Kikte swooping down from shipmasts with their proud, stately wings. Wula waddling along, their webbed hands dragging carts of treasure behind them. Draelish and humans working side by side to repair sails and hawk wares. It was like the last few years of war never happened. I was so caught up in the sight, I nearly missed the ferryman reminding me to take my pack the one he'd been so good as to fish out of the water. I made my way to the town center. It was laid out a bit like a coliseum, a large circular gathering area made of risers and staircases. Vendors perched on each level, 
selling everything from sundries to stolen artwork. Shinestones embedded in the risers lit everything with a pulsing golden glow. As I entered the circle, I looked down. Etched into the metal floor panels was a large labyrinth. Several people were walking along its pathways. Cornering the labyrinth were symbols of a ship followed by merfolk, like the one I had seen on the seal outside. All of it was encircled by an ornate band that bore an inscription in all the major languages. No roads out here. Just then, someone bumped into me from behind. I spun around, fist clenched and ready to summon my dagger. The figure fell over and crashed into the deck. Several passers-by jumped in surprise. Whoever it was, their belongings scattered. I watched a pair of six-sided dice clatter over towards my boot. I bent down to pick them up. A knobby, quaking hand slammed down on the dice. The fallen figure looked up at me. A human man with sallow skin and rotting teeth. He pulled the dice towards him as he stood up, eyes fixed on me. Long, ratty brown hair draped over his face. It was difficult to tell how old he was. His body quaked like an old man, yet there seemed to be a youthful fire in his bloodshot green eyes. He wore a frayed, stained suit, the kind one would wear to a posh dinner party. Jacket, dress shirt, bow tie, cummerbund, slacks, all of it had seen better days. His leather shoes were missing their soles, revealing bloodied bare feet. He also had a fedora, which he seemed to be using to carry some spare change and scraps of food around. T -t terribly sorry, sir, said the man with a sheepish smile. Are you all right? I replied, kneeling to help him up. The man backed away from me, pushing himself to his feet. I could hear his stiff back cracking. Yes, 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 just t -t took a spill. Watch out for that dog's luck, as they say, ha <laughs> The man's legs were shaking so bad, I thought he might fall over again. I gestured to a nearby bench, offering my arm. Do you need to sit down? No, no, sir, that's very kind of you, said the man as he gathered his things off the deck. Always been clumsy my whole scorching life. <laughs> Would knock the crown right off to Shallon's head if I were near him. So sorry to have bothered you. Have a fine day, sir. The man bowed his head in deference and began to shuffle off. I clapped him on the back. You look like you need a hot meal. I'm buying. Sir, you really don't... Oh, I do, considering you have my money. The man screwed up his face in confusion. Sir? Look, it's simple, I said. I grabbed the back of his neck and pulled him close. Concealing my hand from the busy crowd, I summoned my dagger and aimed it towards him. You give me back the purse you stole, and I'll buy you a hot meal for your trouble. Or you keep playing dumb, and this dagger finds a new sheath. Either way, something's going in your stomach. 
color drained from his already pale face. Slowly, the man reached into a pocket on the inside of his jacket and retrieved my leather coin purse. I took it. Dismissing the dagger, I let him go. Thanks, I said. So, where's good? I'm starving. How did you know? The man said. I noticed his voice dropped, became steadier. His eyes were wide with questions. I couldn't blame him for being surprised. He was certainly an expert. I'd like to be able to say I felt the weight of the purse leave my pack, or noticed some other tell, but in truth, I caught nothing. The man was a solid actor, and his demeanor certainly helped sell the bit. Only one thing gave it away. Tashalin. You stuttered on your T's until Tashalin. It was a hunch from there. So, where shall we go to eat? You, uh, serious? You look like you're about to turn to dust. Besides, you can earn it. I'm sure you've been here longer than I have. Maybe you can teach me a thing or two. I extended a hand. My name's Oren. There was a long pause while he watched my hand. It occurred to me I was offering the hand wearing the phantom ring. Rolling my eyes, I took the ring off and tried again. This time he shook it, though I could feel the tension in his arm. Nix, he said quietly. Then, with sudden fervor, let's go to Plux. We left the center of town. Sunscape streets weaved in and out of natural rock tunnels, some of which were so overgrown with stalactites I had to maneuver around and underneath them. I took care to note where we were going, noting landmarks and the waning traffic of people. I let Nix walk ahead of me and put on my phantom ring. It did not elude me, the potential danger of keeping this man in my company. Were it any other place, I might have chased him away and been done with it. But that would just make me a mark for someone else. At least Nix owed me his life, and you'd be surprised how quickly warm food can forge a bond. Besides, I had to get a lay of the land somehow. Urchins are never lost at sea, as the Wula like to say. So what kind of a name is Nix? I said, attempting to break the ice. Dunno, he replied. It's just a nickname. Only one I got. Where are you from? Here, far back as I can remember. Got dumped here as a little one. Raised by a committee in the chum tank. Pardon? The chum tank? Nix turned around and gave me a side eye. Use your imagination. It's where people in Sunscape go when they don't have anything else to be taken from them. Warden gave it to us. It's a reservoir, barely bigger than the town center. About 500 people in there, all scrunched together. Sleeping in refuse piles, drinking dirty water. I take it you're not a fan of the Warden, then. Oh, that's a fine joke, Nick said, his voice suddenly louder than normal. He turned around, 
gesturing no at me with his hands. His eyes were looking all around us. Warden lets us stay here until we've paid our debt. Such a generous man. I looked around, too. We were coming out of the tunnels, into what looked like a business district built inside another sizable cavern. There were still a good deal of people around, though most seemed engaged in their own work and conversations. I closed the distance between myself and Nix. Do you think someone's listening? I whispered. Nix shook his head. He doesn't need ears to hear us. We entered the business district. Many things I saw in the town center were being made here. There were shipping warehouses, smithies, a carpenter's guild, large A-frame buildings on foundations of stone and steel, with pointed rooftops sloping inward, made from plated fibers and bound with sennet rope. Embedded in the walls of the cavern above our heads were small homes made from cutaway holes, covered up with boarded-up planks or beads. Ladders lined the walls, and mesh metal bridges arced overhead to allow workers easy access. Workers descended from their homes to work below, then went back up at the end of the day. It reminded me somewhat of a beehive, engineered for endless repetition. I wondered briefly if the warden had intended that as well. What do you know about this warden? Not much. Enough to know it's a death wish to go around asking too many questions. Well, let's say I had such a death wish. Where could I start? Stick around long enough, things will start to seep out. He's got his fingers in a lot of pies. Can't manage a place like this without connections. Does the name Everwake ring any bells? Nix shook his head. Is that a band? Ask Pluck about it when we get in there. He's the musical type. I chuckled. All right, then. Different subject. Let's say I was in the market for some antiques. Alzerian, to be specific. Anywhere you could point me? Nix shrugged. Town center has the usual fare. Glow bulbs, oracle stones. Think I saw a few drones last. I'm actually looking for something more exotic. Something people might want to keep locked up. At this, Nix stopped walking and looked me over, his eyebrows furrowing. You're not some ordinary tourist, are you, Orin? Sensing his apprehension, I pursed my lips. I'm not paying for you to ask me questions. Nick smiled, albeit tightly. Fair enough. There's a man on the edge of town, near the chum tank. Name's Lennox Fade. Runs a small watering hole named after him. Can't say what happens in there. I've never been in. All I know is what I've seen. People walk inside well after hours, and walk out carrying all manner of strangeness. Things that glow and hum and make the hairs on your neck stand up. 
We turned a corner, made our way past a half-dozen food stands and a ramshackle pawn shop run by Kiktay. At the intersection of the road ahead of us, I saw a long building propped up several feet from the floor by rows of thick wooden pegs. A short stairway led to an entrance hall with a swooping A-frame roof. Fire pits flanked the staircase, along with a couple koi ponds with benches, small bridges, and waterfalls. A mural decked the walls in brilliant whites and blues, rich earth tones, and intricate swirling patterns. It depicted a fleet of ships firing their cannons at a golem the size of a mountain, standing on a beach amidst a town caught ablaze. Hanging from the roof on a large shingle in silver block letters was a sign that read, Plucks. As we approached the door, I heard music, an electrifying mezzo-soprano voice filling every inch of the space inside. Drums and violins accompanied the voice, along with whistles, applause, and raucous chatter. When I opened the double doors, it was like being caught in a whirlpool of sound and emotion. Beyond the welcoming room, there was a long dancing hall, half of which was filled with tables and chairs, the other half housing a stage with an open space for dancing. Half the tavern was up and moving, a kaleidoscope of lives in motion. People meeting for the first time and meeting with old friends. They danced in celebration and regret. All races of Exesar, their borders and boundaries melted through music. On stage singing was a striking Kiktay woman. Like all Kiktay, she bore body-length wings that stuck out from her shoulder blades through her leather corset and peasant shirt. Bony, bird-like legs and talons stuck out from her sailor's slops, tailored to taper at her knees. White feathers covered her shoulders and forearms and seemed to gradually meld into the rest of her skin. Her face was narrow, human-like, the ridges of her brow curved sharply down into a small, beak-like point where her nose would be. A pair of beguiling blue eyes shot out at the crowd. Sunflower blonde hair bounced above her head in a messy bun. She was smiling as she sang, clapping in rhythm to the drums. Oh, I wish I knew the horny barmaid when I was a lad. Those curly drillish points of hers make me want her something bad. Oh, I wish I knew the horny barmaid when I was a lad. Cause then I'd be horny too instead of drunk and sad. The audience clapped with her, laughing and hollering as they danced. Other patrons filled the seats on the other side of the hall. They ate, drank, and talked. Some were sharing tales of bravery or stupidity in booming voices. Others shared hushed secrets, their faces hidden behind flagons. Lining the far wall was the bar, with tall shelves of immaculately kept spirits, gleaming like gems against the light of the chandeliers above. Awula was tending to the bar. He stood on a rolling stool so that he could meet his clientele at eye level. Stocky, round, 
with slippery blue skin and webbed hands. His face resembled a frog, bulging wet eyes and a wide, flat mouth. A gold lip piercing flashed from the corner of his mouth. He wore a baggy poet shirt and small trousers with what looked like intentional rips at the knees. A woolen scarf dyed deep red and purple draped artfully around his neck. Nix and I sat down at the bar. Moments later, the Wula pushed the rolling stool down the bar to meet us. Salutations, sirs, the Wula said. Welcome to Pluck's, the best inn and tavern named after a fella named Pluck you'll likely see today. As you might have guessed, I'm Pluck. Not much of an endorsement for your own bar, I pointed out. Hey, set the bar low, it's easier to jump, Pluck said. You fellas eatin', drinkin'? Our specials today are... I'll take sapphire mead, Nix interjected. A full pint. And a braised crash hog shank with lemon sauce. And a pot pie. With some oat bread. You've still got that Rothian oat bread, right, with the maple glaze? Easy, friend, Pluck chuckled. Your mouth is running faster than an auctioneer at a butterfly sale. Uh, what? Never mind. Pluck waved his hand. I'll get that started. And for you, sir? I cast a side eye at Nix, saying, Bourbon highball with blackcurrant juice and a mango twist. Nothing to eat. Good as done, sirs. Pluck climbed down from his rolling stool and disappeared into a pair of swinging doors that appeared to lead into the kitchen. I thought you said you were hungry, Nick said. That was before I knew you were buying the whole kitchen. I swung around on my stool, surveying the tavern. The Kikte singer was just finishing her body tune, taking a bow before her adoring crowd. One of the violin players, a human, stepped downstage and gestured to her. Let's have another round of applause for the incomparable Merriweather. The crowd crackled with applause. As Merriweather pretended to shoo away the adulation, I leaned over to Nix. So, you've been here a while. Can you tell me about her? Oh, Mary? She and Pluck go way back. Full this place was built, even. Think she used to be a sky-toucher for the Imperium, before she quit to pursue a life of music. Pretty tight-lipped about her past, though. Ran with some pirates for a while, I think. I could never get her to say more when I was a regular. When did you stop? About a year ago. I fell on hard times. Dog's luck, as they say. You keep saying that. I don't follow. What is dog's luck? It's just a saying, Nick said curtly. Pluck had returned from the kitchen and was preparing our drinks. Nick seized the opportunity to avert his gaze by watching him. No offense, but I am pretty tight-lipped about my past, too. Man's past is like a weapon, 
it's deadlier in someone else's hands. We took our drinks from pluck. I brought mine to my lips. Believe me, I know. All right, my friends, Merriweather's voice called out. I've got to go. A wave of groans and pleas rang out from the crowd. I know I'll miss you too. I've got one more song to play you. It's a request from an old friend and one of my personal favorites. It's called Return to Me. The crowd quieted as the violinist struck the first note. A warm bass note, demanding silence with its soft strength. It cast over the crowd like a spell. The notes had no beginning or end. They just flowed into and out of one another. The song was familiar, sad, but clinging to a sliver of hope. I felt like the yearning in my own heart was being translated by the music. For a time, it was just the violin, and no other sounds existed in the world. Then, Merriweather sang. I made a wish unto a fountain. I prayed that you'd return to me. My days and deeds have left me undone. Your face, your face will set me free. In that moment, my muscles clenched. I gripped my glass so hard I could hear it cracking. I let go, stepping back from the bar. My heart was smashing itself against my ribcage. My pulse pounded in my ears. The world around me spun. Nix said something to me, but I couldn't hear him. I turned to the stage, watching, listening to the melody I had heard over and over in my memories. Laughter, footsteps in mud, I made a wish unto a fallen star. This maze must surely have an end. The silken voice sings a melody as a blade drags across the floor. I race through winding pathways wandering. Your face, your face around the bend. Flash of a scene invaded my mind. I was hiding with a child inside a basement closet. I heard the killer dragging their sword down the stairs, singing that verse as they rounded the corner. We forced ourselves not to breathe. Our hearts beat so loud. Watched the silhouette of the killer through a crack in the door. They toppled over boxes and shelves, tore away rugs, broke windows. But their voice, ever steady, ever calm, singing our lives away. Until 
sneeze. Mine? The child's? It didn't matter. The killer's head snapped in our direction. I saw the glint of their steel as it scraped the floor. I heard their heavy boots clopping at a measured pace. I heard them sing. Fountains lie like fallen stars. The mazes never end. So I close my eyes and there you are. Your face around the bend. The killer opens the door. We hold each other tight. Metal swings, screams. A body knocks into me, spilling some ale onto my boot. I'm pushed out of the way as the crowd gathers to see Merriweather off the stage and out of the tavern. Her fellow musicians are graciously blocking their cloying hands and halting their appeals for autographs. I watch her smile and laugh, my face ice cold with sweat. No, this can't be, I tell myself. It's just a song. People sing songs, it doesn't mean. Remember where you are, a voice inside me says. This is a place of wolves. Oren, I heard Nick say. Din's blood, man, are you alright? I dug out my coin purse and dropped a couple gleams on the bar. Keep eating. I said to Nix without looking. We're done here. I took off into the crowd. I felt fire in my blood. Merriweather was almost at the front door. I couldn't let her get away. I pushed through drunk humans into Draylish, ducked under the wings of a few Kiktay admirers. I tripped over a Lula carrying a tray of drinks. The drinks crashed to the floor and spilled. I fell. The crowd around me dispersed with gasps of surprise. From the pool of ale I lifted my head. Through the legs of the stunned patrons, I saw Merriweather and her band walk out the door. I jumped to my feet and barreled forward. A couple men stopped me, pushed me back, barring the exit. They started berating me. As the commotion grew, I noticed a staircase leading to the upper floor, where the in-suites were. I fainted for the front door, then turned and broke through the crowd towards the stairs. Racing to the second floor, I tried each door I could find, hoping to find an open room with a window. I was lucky to find a human patron just coming out of a room at the far end of the hall. I ran, plowing into the man and pushing him aside before he could close his door. Amidst his protests, I found a window overlooking the street outside. Merriweather and her band were outside Plucks, next to the koi pond. I opened the window and stepped out onto the roof, bracing myself against the slope. I clenched my fist, feeling the phantom ring between my fingers. Merriweather! My voice echoed across the entire street. Merriweather's bandmates looked up at me, along with everyone else on the street. But Merriweather herself was gone, soaring through the air above the smithies and bridges and honeycomb houses. 
Speechless, I watched her fly. A cool breeze kissed my skin. I shuddered. Sliding down, I sat on the edge of the windowsill. Holding my head in my hands, I went over the fresh memory in my mind. Under my breath, I sang the newfound lyrics to the song that would never leave me. I made a wish unto a fountain. I prayed that you'd return to me. Return to me. Return to me. Echoes of Exesor is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound design courtesy of GarageBand and Sword Coast Soundscapes on YouTube. For questions or comments, email us at echoesofexesor at gmail.com.